jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! of darkness! Whoa, where am I? Oh, Whoa. of course. Of course. It's the re-re-three-ending. What else could it be? <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> She's... She is just trapped in that hamster wheel running and running and running and running and running and generating that thermometer making it go keeping the lights on keeping those funds raising um sorry i wore myself out having to describe that (laughs) yeah what is it as people are listening to this it's friday day five friday of the week which means we have what friday saturday and sunday left Oh, I feel it in my bones. (laughs) Today's the day. Today is where this has finally kind of all caught up to me. I think it uh, it it feels a little crusty. Oh, it sure does. Like a little um rusty and a little calcified. Little shaken baked. The volatile shaken baked. (laughs) Re re threading. we're fundraising for the transgender law center stacy that's what did you know that that's what we're doing that's what we're on the fifth day of doing we are in the final well i guess counting today the final three days of the three the re-re three ending uh and yesterday we set our goal the loftiest goal yet at seven thousand dollars stacy we are at drum roll <laughs> Coming right up, Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Renfield. We are at $6,860. Hey. We are so close. Really close. We're going to hit it. We're going to hit that goal. I have the feeling that today we are, in fact, going to hit it. And that we are going to get to raise it perhaps once more, maybe. I would love to be blown away and get to do that even more, but I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I think so. And all I can say is thank you. Thank you, everybody. I just can't believe how generous people are with the donations. It's ridiculous. Like, we're getting, there are some huge amounts, which is very exciting. There are also, this is all I can offer amounts, and that's also exciting. Sure, anything is exciting. Because there's 160 donors at this point. 160 of you have have heeded the call. It's very heartwarming. It's isn't it? It is. But we're already we're falling apart, and yet we're just hearts are warmed because all of this fundraising again goes to the Transgender Law Center, uh, the largest national trans-led organization advocating for a world in which all people are free to define themselves in their futures. That's again six thousand eight hundred and sixty dollars, almost to that seven thousand goal. Uh, by the time you hear this, 
we might have exceeded that. And regardless of where we're at, this is just so wicked cool. And um, yeah. The listeners are doing it. Listeners are doing it for themselves. <laughs> Sisters are doing it for themselves. <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm so tired. <laughs> What's my point? I don't know. We're here to talk about Juwan, the grudge. Hell yeah. And you're going to say, is that a three? It is. It is. Just trust us. Jason. Listen up, we said so. It's a three to me. It's a three to me. Because the series goes Jew on the Curse, Jew on the Curse 2, and yeah, they were shorter movies, but those were still the first two entries in the franchise by the director, and then Jew on, which we later got released as Jew on the Grudge. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But this is the big one. This is the, the one that was initially released uh, in the West, and you know... What a time that was. Wow. Right? Like, I mean, I think everybody knows that The Ring ushered in, The Ring remake ushered that in. And I can't really, for people who weren't into horror at the time, weren't around for that kind of cultural moment in horror, but it really and truly was a kind of watershed experience because these movies completely defy play with and defy all expectations of the genre from by western viewers oh a whole new world a whole new visual cinematic vocabulary a whole new filmmaking style i mean this is like this is like you know back in the olden days when japan opened its borders but for movie for horror movies like i mean you're absolutely right since since this what this all this all kicked off in what 2002 but since then we've gone through what like four or five massive kind of horror movements uh but thinking back like what you had the 80s you had slashers the 90s happened nothing <laughs> then we had uh the new teen slasher cycle with like scream and those films and then went right into this we hadn't really seen much flipping audience expectations on their head and the ring really did that juan also did that yep um i mean i just remember the ring went to see it opening weekend in a theater and the audience was transfixed (laughs) like it was a you know it was a friday night crowd and it was rowdy and all this and then everybody got real real quiet because everybody was fucking scared I love that. And, you know, the end of the movie where you think it's over because in all the ghost movies that we had here in in out of Hollywood or whatever, it's like you've solved the ghost's problems and then it's over. You're fine. Yep. And then there's that moment where you realize that it doesn't matter if you solve her problems. Like, that's what she wants. She'll <laughs> you never know? stop. Yeah, it's not over. And that just blew everybody's minds well it's so as we've said before especially when we're reviewing so many of these movies during that chunk of that summer that is so profoundly un-american i mean like to the extent that when you look at the film pulse you look at the japanese film where there's a ghost apocalypse there's no stopping it everyone dies then you look at the american remake pulse written by wes craven and uh, Kristen Bell finds a flash drive that she just plugs into a computer and stops the ghost apocalypse. 
that's <laughs> the American version versus the Japanese version. So it's it's so profoundly un-American to have a uh, death is inevitable. There's nothing that will be overcome. You can solve everything, but it doesn't do any good. And the first time you see these films, especially, and I was reminded of it watching Juwan again last night, is like how just even small cultural touches can upend your expectations and that becomes really terrifying yeah um when you think things are going to go one way or things should should go this way and it just it ends up breaking all the rules that you've come to expect it's really exciting as a viewer listen would you get that taste of refreshment which is how it's pronounced (laughs) It's, I mean, would you see something that you have? That was me watching The Witch for the first time. Just sitting there. I'm like, she's going to die. She's going to die. They're going to hang her. They're going to hang her. She's going to get hanged. And then I'm watching her levitate at Lesbian Book Club. What? That doesn't happen in a movie. And just the sense of elation. And I have seen, uh, as as I'm watching Mindhunter, and as Dr. Wendy Carr says... <laughs> To uh, you know, the, to come up with an absolutely original idea, it's so refreshing. So, Juwan, this one really, I love the way this movie is structured. It's a great movie. Now, you said you watched it when we had our Asian invasion. Yes, yes, I I watched it on my own um, outside of the show. Because I, I just could not get enough. We, I mean, we were doing an episode every week on these films, but I could not. I needed even more. I watched like, I think like 50 Asian horror films that summer. Um, and Juwan, the grudge, I, I said, I have to go back to what I thought was the original, like many of our listeners probably. <laughs> I feel like you were a little lukewarm on it. Like not like maybe a little more than lukewarm, but you you were like, yeah, it's good. At the time, um, I was still getting acquainted with the sadness and the hopelessness of these films. I was also in early pandemic, Anthony, <laughs> who, who, it, it's almost like Anthony, there was Anthony, the viewer before the 2016 election, who was like, we got this, bro, you know, who was like, who was posted on social media, who was like full of life and love. <laughs> And then that happens and suddenly things that I didn't especially like before the election, suddenly like the sort of cynicism or darkness or whatever made more sense for me. And similarly with the pandemic. So this was when the first time I saw it, I just, I think my initial response was, I don't want to see all these women die. (laughs) And while I still feel that way, I am much more here for the ride uh, because it's just so well made and it's sad and. I have questions about the franchise as a whole and like representation of well not rep- not ghost representation but you know the ethics of of this uh domestic violence victim turning into like this ghoul for the rest of eternity in a never ending franchise. Yeah. There are definitely I think here was something interesting that hadn't struck me in viewings previous to last night. And maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe I was drunk. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get, I didn't get the texts. You didn't get the texts. Um, Watching it at the very, very, very end of this movie, I thought, 
maybe if I just turn my head a little bit or turn my brain a little bit, you could read this as Kayako isn't killing anybody. And she's trying to actually save them from him. I had that thought because why is he at the why is he at the very, very end? He yeah, he's the only one that and when we see Kayako at the end and she's covered in blood and it's obviously like this is the first time it's reminiscent of like how she actually died. And she's reaching out to Rika and you think, oh no, she's gonna kill her, whatever. I mean, is she asking all of these people for help? Is she trying right. to save them from him? Like, I just had a totally different read on this whole movie. I love that read because it was, it was, that was beginning to peek out of, in the, the nethers of my brain. Because we, we never, and I almost went back and rewatched every quote unquote death scene thinking about that because we never actually see her kill anyone, right? No. We see her drag people off or she appears and suddenly they both have vanished. Like, they they show up and scare people. She'll levitate over your head when you're asleep and you just hear, you know? Yeah, she's terrifying. But that's it. So then why, at the very, very end of the film, when we're following arguably the lead character, and there, this is really an ensemble cast, but there's one character, one queen in particular... <laughs> God, I love Rika. She's a babe. Oh, Rika's an it's, angel. It's always so sad in movies when the babes get killed. Especially when she has made it so far and you're like, she's moved on with her life. <laughs> she's gonna make it. And Mariko is too. <laughs> and then they're gonna get married. They're gonna get married and we're all gonna go on the Rosie O'Donnell cruise. <laughs> no. That's not gonna happen because this is J-horror, people. So... When we finally get Rika back in the house, all right, I've jumped so far ahead. No, I feel like you people have seen this, right? Like you all know. The, it's also really difficult to like give you the plot of this movie because, like a lot of Asian horror movies, it plays with time. We have past, present, and future. You don't know where you are in time until you pick up on contextual clues, uh, and sometimes those timelines crisscross like at the same point like the past will see the future it's a nightmare yeah it's a nightmare so to just like spell it all out for everybody a to b a to c to d is kind of difficult especially for us and we have a hard time when the plot is like a man comes back to life and kills people and we can't (laughs) tell you that in any succinct way (laughs) no it's impossible and let alone this where there are six different like acts or or chapters basically each following a different character like and there's five thousand characters in different points in time is too much so so y'all know what it's about it you know house dead you walk in house uh, dead that's the grudge everyone knows yeah you you there's the curse if someone dies in a rage uh they it becomes a curse and they'll pass the curse on to you no matter where you go like wherever people die a new curse is born and it all centers around this family of kayako uh and her son toshio were murdered by the dad slash husband he thought or found out that kayako was uh, had an affair and that toshio wasn't his son it, it seems like it's probably just his crazy brain um, but he kills them both. Um, and so then her ghost kills him. 
there's a curse. Anybody who goes into the house is going to be fucked. That's it. So Rika, Rika goes in the house because her somebody at the social worker place is like, Rika, go do my job. And so she, even though she's a volunteer, she does. Things get bad. She gets out of the house. We meet a billion other characters. At the very end, she ends up back in the house. And you see fucking scary ass Kayako, who's so fucking cool and blue and covered in blood. And it's like, you're, it, I also love that it's, you're almost, it's almost like watching, um, there's elements of like just kabuki <laughs> kind of in this film, uh, which is also, I guess this, I didn't realize that this, there's elements of the story like critics have pointed out are kind of traced back to like essentially the very first Uri, Uri story um out of japan i can't remember what it's called i think it was like it's it's kaiden about a man that i think kills his wife and family um so i I just thought that kabuki correlation with how she's styled was really great but she's coming down the stairs you see toshio and it's like this is the first time it really feels like an epic showdown where you're seeing everybody and then uh, saiki her husband shows up and he's the one that's coming right at Rika. And he's the one that reaches for her. And then the next shot, she's dead. And because you only see him in the very beginning in a flashback, where he's like getting out the razor, the the box cutter, and going to kill his family. And then you see him at the I think you're absolutely right. Right? Like, I think you can argue that for sure. Because also then now at the end, we see a corpse, the corpse of Rika, with... Kayako's hair. So, like, what is this transference? Why does she become Kayako? Because she is his newest victim. I want Kayako to be Avenger Defender. <laughs> I mean, it just like when you finally get the the climactic sequence of her coming down the stairs, and it is legit amazing. Like, just incredible physicality by the actress. Oh. <laughs> like, it's just it's so good and it's so scary and simple. It's very simple. No computer trickeries going on. Um, and she's coming down the stairs and it's a really long sequence of her making her way to a terrified Rika. But the fact that she is covered in blood and it's it's just, it's like, look at it this way and it's a scary ghost coming at you and you're scared. Look at it this way and it's just a reenactment of what was probably her final moments of her covered in blood and just like going and trying to get help. She's reaching out, like, not to, like, grab Rika and kill her. It's a, it's pleading. And Toshio never kills anybody. He's just always kind of there, like a specter, or, you know, a ghoul hanging out. Yeah, he's like, you want to hear me make a cat sound? <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I think it can totally be read that way. It's, it's, it's also just feels a little more, for me, as a, as a, as a sensitive viewer. <laughs> it feels just a little more just. To have her depicted in that way versus there's, I I can't remember if we talked about this on the air, off the air, like in the last two days, but there's something that feels very different about Kayako as like a Yurai versus Sadako or like Samara as we know her. Like, cause Sadako is a fucking freak. <laughs> right. Yeah. Telekinetic witch ghoul video artist with a scary eye and psychic powers and all this shit but kayako like it's bonkers to me that i completely forgot they address like um i think a a detective kind of talks about her backstory and about the murder she was 28 year old housewife and that's like that's not how i think of most ghouls that go 
you know, she's just a murdered wife and mother. Right. It's, it's, you know, Sadako and Kayako, it's like Hill House being born bad or a house where something bad happened. Yes. You know, like it's like that kind of distinction between the two of them. Yes. Yeah, she was a 28 year old housewife. And then you have to say, okay, what is that? And then you, you pull it back and you look at Japanese society and like what was going on at the time. I think also Kayako as asking for help or trying to prevent this from happening to other women is a lot stronger also because there are ways you could look at this film and be like, are you denigrating women who are not just uh, conforming to the traditional role of wife and mother? Because Toshio haunts every childless career woman in this movie. Yeah, that's how he gets Mariko to the house. Every woman that he is like, it's it's Hitomi. Um, or like, you know, you have Kazumi, who is, is she maybe neglectful? Who knows? Uh, Mariko is the teacher. Uh, Rika is doing her own thing. These women are all unattached and living their own lives. And they're haunted by the specter of this child. Mm-hmm. So it get, that gets a little like, okay, what are we trying to say? There's no stable families in this movie at all. Um, it's just all Kayako haunting familial dysfunction, basically. Yeah. So it could be read as, I don't know, like it, it, you could tilt your head the other way and it's kind of an anti-feminist film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, women were starting to defy those expectations and the roles that they had always had but i think you're right and i think that comes through i think it could be read either way and i'm curious what which way the director intended because it does feel like it's saying something about the state of the modern family in japan of a modernized family in japan and i think that also comes through with the with the uh tokunaga family the the family that is living in the house after um, the Takios after Tosh, uh, Kayako and what was her husband's name? Ta- uh, Saiki. But the, the family that's currently living there with their mother, they have the mother-in-law that lives there. And like, she has some kind of dementia or something and they take care of her, but like, she's also sort of a burden and they also are working. They also rely on a social worker to look after her in addition to like to caring for her but like traditionally that would not be you wouldn't have a social worker also coming in and looking after her it would be entirely the 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 not the burden but also not treated as a burden of the family of the wife yes yes the wife yes whether it's her mother or not (laughs) like it's the wife's duty yeah I mean, maybe there was no intent, you know, maybe it was just like, this is scary. And it's, it's a Dario Argento, like who wants, we all want to see women get killed and get scared. <laughs> Cause you know how he is like, women victims are better. Brutally murdering women in Italy. It says nothing. <laughs> yeah. It is a film. It says nothing. <laughs> it's interesting, but it never really, I don't know. Last night it was nice. It was nice. Cause I've seen this plenty of times. So it was nice to have like a new kind of look at it i guess yeah it's your brain unlocking a different choose your own adventure path and i like that because that also for me what i was thinking about 
as as those thoughts were beginning to percolate, I was also I think part of that was counter to the other read, which is well, she is a battered, murdered woman, and now she is going to com- like com- completely replicate this cycle for the rest of time. <laughs> Let a little, or if not the rest of time through through the next what nine entries in this franchise <laughs> yeah right and it's like let the woman fucking rest after a certain point i mean i'm sure i'm sure the sequels i can't say i'm sure because i really have no basis i haven't seen the sequels i only saw the american um remake slash spinoff whatever that is with sarah michelle geller and bill pullman but I, I, it feels to me that kayako continues to be the problem the main problem because, well, I did see Sadako versus Kayako, where she's entirely that. But they also become, they get married at the end. <laughs> oh, yeah. On the Rose of Cruise ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very, and then, the you know, the structure of the movie, it's like, time is a flat circle. Oh, you haven't watched True Detective yet. Sorry. Time is a flat circle. You know, like it just weaves in and out and everybody kind of has their role to play in this thing and everybody is faded. Uh, You know, you cross some kind of threshold and you're like, poor Izumi is a child and her father originally worked on the murder case and everything and then we see her grow up and she's fucked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, everybody is doomed. Mm-hmm. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but I don't know. I love the way it plays out, and I love that you first understand that. I mean, at least Rika has her final chapter showdown showcase showcase showdown. <laughs> she comes out. She does the flips. She does yeah. the monkey bars. She yeah. does. Uh, because we first learn that she died, you just hear it in the background on like it's either a radio or a tv you hear it in the azumi chapter <gasps> that rika died that rika died that a social worker who had gone missing etc her body was found they did say that and then we see how it happened and see how it plays out yeah i just love it it's so great and that's after azumi has been seen in a vision by her father who is dead at the time but not dead but she's in the future <laughs> time is real real weird in this movie but it's cool this the structuring is so cool like it it feel and it, it makes sense that these are based off of that there were shorter films before this you on the curse one and two and if you want to get real weird there were actually two short films before those two which doesn't make this a part five okay but um because it with this how this is made it feels like you're watching six short films that were assembled together and do ultimately tell their own cohesive story. And it even plays with your expectations as a horror fan uh, in terms of how the scares happen and where they happen and when they happen. Um, It's not the usual horror kind of places. It's not somebody, you know, descending into the dark, dreary basement. Like it's, it's pretty much all daytime, well lit places. Yeah. And I think that that the the moment in this movie that is it's very much the the ring moment of you helped her what you know uh, <laughs> in this one is when 
Hitomi hides under her covers. And it's like, the monster isn't under your bed. You know, you remember, like, the majority of Japanese people sleep on the floor. They're not afraid of anything being under their bed. (laughs) Right? Yeah, that's not even a thing. It's not even a thing. Uh, So she hides under her covers, which is supposed to be a safe place. But the monster isn't under your bed. The monster is in your fucking bed. Yeah. Or like the attic being where the bodies are. The attic is the scary part, not the basement. Because attics aren't really used in the way that we tend to use them here. Like here, it could be a playroom or somebody's bedroom or, you know, a sewing room or like whatever. But it's usually a dark, creepy place in Japanese houses. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it is here. And it's just, it's, I don't know, the horrors come from above. Where here, it, yeah. like in the Western horror, we're used to it coming from below, I guess. Yes. Well, and that's, I think that's when things start to get a little spooky in this film. I mean, it's spooky from the get-go. But you get this, <laughs> you begin to think that it's just the house. As long as you don't go in that house. And even if you go in that house, you can leave that house. But that doesn't mean you're okay. And I think that's why part three, Hitomi, is my favorite section of this film. Like, when you get that thing following her in the elevator, when you see her, like, watching the um, the, the CCTV, guard. yeah, security cameras, and then you see, like, the, the, the ghoul form... Beginning to sh- in shade around him. Ooh, spooks me. Love it. Yeah, it's that whole thing of like you have your part to play and you can't escape it, and there's nothing you can do. And it's like as as uh, as ineffective, I think, as I find the movie to be now. I will say, Paranormal Activity did that same thing very well, where it was like your house isn't haunted, you're haunted. Like yeah. we had, we hadn't really seen that in straight up like Hollywood pictures. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was, I don't know. Those kind of moments are just so wonderful. Was that was was Insidious right after? Was that after Paranormal Activity? Yeah. It's not your house. It's haunted. It's your boy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Lin Shay doesn't talk like that. Right. Um, <laughs> the 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 fact that. Now I'm thinking about now I'm thinking about this psyche theory versus Kayako. But the fact that Hitomi gets home, you think she's safe, and then she has to go and let it into her house because she gets a phone call, which this now ups the fear quotient for me. Because the the ghosts, the 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 grudge, the rage thing can follow you and can like it it has intelligence. So it can imitate, you say, your brother or brother-in-law and call you at your apartment and say, I'm in front of your condo. What's your room number? And then you tell it and then you open the door, but nobody's there, even though you just saw him through the peephole. Yeah, you that is the people ups- he's standing there. Yeah, that is upsetting to me. And you know what, Anthony, the fact that it is her brother, I think only lends this new theory credence because the brother was possessed by Seiki earlier. That's entirely, I think you're entirely correct because, and this is why I'm thinking through it because I'm like, she, but she saw her brother in the peephole, but then she sees Kayako in her bed. But Kayako, when you have the, the flashbacks later where Kayako keeps appearing to everybody, but she isn't full ghoul. 
also lends to that that she was a woman showing up trying to warn her get out of your bed get out of your place because he's there this is i'm sorry we have broken completely new ground today <laughs> honestly <laughs> has anyone taken this read of juan i don't know maybe it makes perfect sense that was the one place where i was like but i don't know if that track but it does it does I don't like that he can call you and find out how to get to your house. I don't like it. Yeah. (laughs) I wrote (laughs) on that part. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of subtle scare. You know what I mean? That's not the ghost in your face. That's like. No, that's like it can think. That's. It can manipulate you. Yeah. That's when I went to that graveyard late at night. I've told you this a million times. And we walk up to the graveyard and then rocks start flying at us from the trees <laughs> at midnight in the middle of nowhere. I would so, like to know what actually happened there. I'm dying to- Oh, oh, versus my memory of it? <laughs> yeah. It was some, like, an acorn fell out of a tree or something. An acorn fell out of a tree. <laughs> rocks are falling from the sky! Now, this is something I hadn't considered, is that my brain Michelle yoed it. <laughs> right. Which really, people, that's how all memory works. It's all made <laughs> oh, up. Oh, absolutely. All our memories are just a big load of shit. Yeah, uh, never take me to court because all testimony is <laughs> false and mine even more so. But yeah, Michelle Yeoh was there. But um, it was weird. But uh, oh, oh. <laughs> but I, I distinctly remember like three rocks literally hurtling through the air at our feet. We all, I was with like four friends. We all were very distraught and immediately turned around because the uh, the idea in our head was, well, the options are one, there is something throwing rocks at us or like a, something being a ghost or someone is just standing there waiting for anyone to come to this graveyard in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere. But what I don't like is that the only answer is that there is an intelligent force behind if that happened, as I remember it, <laughs> that that's the only answer is that there's an intelligent force. And I don't like that because dead things are supposed to be dead and not thinking. Well, you should be right because you should be able to outsmart them, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I guess this is the, the hopelessness of Japanese horror cinema is that I can't outsmart them. Look at the, I mean, the story from Horror Stories, Fox Valley. Oh, you think humanity is something, huh? Get a load of this. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are oh i can outsmart all the ghosts <laughs> meanwhile the ghost is ringing your doorbell and you let it in i'm like oh my grub hub is here <laughs> yeah. i love this movie it's a bummer it's so sad but a good one it's a great one and you've never seen the grudge proper i haven't I have Sarah not Michelle seen going. the. I have not seen the remake. I saw the reboot with Andrea Riseborough and Jackie Weaver or whatever. But and Lynn Shay and Lynn Shay. I saw that. Boy, oh boy, that was awful. What? What happened that day? Uh, I might have had a head injury. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was throwing rocks at me at midnight in the graveyard, and one of the rocks hit me in the head. And then I went home and I was like, I'm going to watch The Grudge or whatever it's called. This seems like a good idea. Haven't seen the 50 actual Juon sequels. Haven't seen The Grudge. 
I've seen a couple of the sequels, but not all of them. You know what I really want to see is Juwan, um I can't remember if it's Juwan Black or Juwan White. Black. Directed by Mari Asato, Japanese master of horror. I think at that point they move away from the Kayako story altogether. I think it becomes a different story. But I, I do want to see that. Yeah, The Grudge is the Sarah Michelle Gellar. I'm just, I'm just so perplexed that you saw that one and not... <laughs> I know. The, the SMG. I know. Um, I guess because it was at least a reboot, so I thought it would be somehow different or something. Where right. I, whereas I say, well, The Grudge is just a remake, but with the same director and with American people in it. Why would I want to bother? I, I love Sarah Michelle Gellar but, and Clea Duvall, but... Yeah, they... Oh, I forgot Clea Duvall's in it! Yeah, that's the... It's essentially the exact same movie as this. Like, they just say, oh, now an American guy, Bill Pullman, moved in the house, and I think Sarah Michelle Gellar's, like, the nurse that checks on him. But it's the exact same sequence. Like, like I... What? I wonder if Clea Duvall is sort of the Hitomi character, because, yeah, there's the the elevator, the Toshio with the elevator floors, the security camera, all that's in the the remake yeah i think that's why i haven't seen it but i think that was some i'm sure that was a gateway for some people like you know i mean i saw the ring long before i saw ringu oh yeah yeah i saw i saw the grudge initially i saw yeah and same i saw ringu or the ring first um i think there is it does get obviously americanized even with the the same director returning because sarah michelle geller lives in the end of the first one oh really yeah, but I think they kill her in the beginning of the second one. But yeah, she lives in the first one. I think it's like implied that she's about to get it, but she you don't see it happen. At least that's what I remember. I could be wrong. <laughs> wow. Wow. Juwan. We did it. We did it. We did another threed. We've been threed, y'all. Oh my god. Stacy. Huh? We're so close. Really? I just hit refresh and we are at $6,960. Oh, whoa. We're going to hit that goal. We're going to hit that goal today. Listen, we might not get to set a new goal on the air today, but we are so, we are going to change that goal. I'm sure within not long after recording this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I just, once again, I can't believe, I believe our final, our final, final, final goal last time around when we did this was $8,000. Yeah. That was the absolute finish line ask. And I think we made that, I think we got there on the very last day of the three inning. And we've got, what, three more days of this? We have three more days. So people, this is the time, like, um, as we've said, we're so grateful. And I and I think with just the the very last like the following two full days that are left, this is the time to 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 drop that link in an email to Grandpa, to rich Grandpa with the money. You know him. Yeah. Send it. Send it to Craig and HR. Um, get this. Get, help spread the word because I'm sure a lot of y'all have already donated. There's 161 donations and. It really matters. Once again, all the fundraising goes to the Transgender Law Center during what is perhaps one of the most inexplicably horrible times um, for trans people to be alive in this country. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
please, please continue to, if you can give, that's great. But if you can just share, send this out, email it, anything to spread the word is so helpful. Um, and I just, once again, just can't believe, can't believe it already, but I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm saying at this point. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired, but I'm so proud of everyone. Yeah, I wanted to, like, tying into this, and we, we touched on it on the first episode of this, about how horrific things are and how it's not going to stop. There's no finish line for this kind of thing. And I don't know if you saw in the news, um, just the other day, there's a singer here named Haley Kyoko. I don't know if you know who she is. She Mm-mm. is uh, she's a pop singer uh, slash actress, all this. She is an out lesbian. She's been out forever. Um, she's really cool. She like directs all her own videos and everything is like super gay. And she's What's wonderful. Haley Kiyoko. Cool. Um, I love her. She's doing a tour right now. And she was in Tennessee, which is where some of this horrendous legislation is taking place. Yeah. And uh, she part of her show was she was going to bring some local drag queens up on stage. And the police told her you cannot do that this is an all-ages show and that's a felony now that is a felony now these states are enacting that that is a felony and it is the slope is very slippery i mean like that's enough like the buck should stop at all of these things i'm not saying that but just to point out how slippery the slope is it is becoming places are trying to charge you if you do not wear clothing that conforms to your gender like, this is how the slope happens. Yep. Which means what? Are women not going to be allowed to wear pants again? Like, they would love to fucking get back to that. Yep. Oh, yeah, fully. And, I mean, just that Tennessee legislation. Like, also, heart and soul, <laughs> go as useless as those things are, go out to all trans people and, and oh, yeah. queer people living in these states where this is happening. Like, obviously, this is also a thing. Like, don't hate Tennessee there are real people there that are suffering and trying to fight this and are doing their best to fight this and are really leading the fight for everyone else. Um, But like with Tennessee thinking about that drag bill, okay, it's a felony to do drag in public, to have it an all ages show. Uh, You, you go to jail. Um, What is operating underneath that? It's not, it's not, it's being presented as, oh, well, drag is sexualized on TV and therefore it's inappropriate for children. But what is underneath that? It's, it's the act of what, what, what normative culture would call cross-dressing. It becomes a way to then show, okay, well, this drag queen over here is performing. We're going to give her a felony. What about this trans woman that's trying to use this restroom? It's a total like MacGuffin for what they're really trying to get to, which this is this is actively attacking trans people. And that is actively effect- attacking the gender freedom of literally every person. It's pretty terrifying. It feels so it's so dystopian. That's a word for it. <laughs> Don't you hate that Margaret Atwood was right? Yeah. <laughs> No, I love Margaret Allen. So. I love her, but I hate that like everything she's ever written <laughs> is correct. The reason why her stuff is right is because she looks for the way she does her research. Like she does research and she's like, nothing I put in my books is total fantasy. I look for things that have already happened so that that way when somebody reads The Handmaid's Tale and says this would never happen, she can say it already has. Yes. 
Well, every every good science fiction writer, usually women, right. <laughs> um, yeah. do this. Ursula K. Le Guin does this. Um, uh, um, Parable of the Sower. Oh my God, was her name Octavia, Octavia Butler. Butler? Fucking legendary Octavia Butler. I can't wait for her name for a second. I'm going to hell. But Octavia Butler, like she has a dystopian story set after a plague in the 2020s where a man is running for president under the slogan make america great again she wrote that in 1998 that's actually parable of talents she wrote that in like 98 because but that's the act of research and showing that these things like like unto battlestar galactica this has all happened before and it will all happen again and it's exhausting um, we shouldn't have to be putting up with this still. No. And just because some of us gained some rights in the 90s and then again in like the mid 2000s does not mean that everyone that this that that, that that everyone must be punished now because a little a couple people got a little more slices of the pie. Awful. Things are awful. <laughs> Things are really awful. Things are absolutely awful and the only thing that we can do besides living our lives and besides uh, living our lives fearlessly and fighting for them and fighting for others' rights to do this, really, unfortunately, because we live in a capitalist world, capital is one way that you can actually enact change. And again, the Transgender Law Center, their whole goal as the largest national trans-led organization in this country is to change law, policy, and attitudes. So once again, this is just one... While while everything we said might feel like doomsday, doomsday and <laughs> suffocating, yes, there's that. But there's also a way to change this, and there's also all of you coming together, raising this money for Transgender Law Center. Once again, six thousand nine hundred and sixty dollars. We're almost to that seven thousand goal. Um, you can donate again at gofundme.com slash f slash gaylords or by clicking the banner link on our website or the social media link in our social media bios that will all take you to this gofundme and also like this is not a thing that you can only fundraise for them through us like you can you can continue to donate <laughs> to them through transgender law center after this uh there's also so many i would say look into organizations in your own area too look into look into trans organizations that are actually fighting within these states um look at there's an organization here that i really admire and respect called trans lifeline uh i actually think they're located out of oakland but um they do great work and i've been supporting them with benefits and causes in town whenever i can like just you know look into ways that you can help out because it's literally the only thing we can do is try to help and we're doing it partially through the power of podcasting. Yeah, man. Uh, but we'll be back again tomorrow. She will be shaking and baking tomorrow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to be watching a little something called, again, we're playing it tricky with you. Uh, the Ghost Galleon. Ooh, wee, I'm so excited. What in the world is the Ghost Galleon? It's the third film of the tombs of the blind dead the franchise a series whatever i'd say four films constitutes a franchise okay so this is the third one i have never seen any of the tombs of the blind dead i of course know those the iconic visage 
of oh, said yeah. Blind Dead. Uh, but I've never seen any of the films, and I'm really excited. I love the idea of a ghost galleon already. So. Listen, it's a spooky shit, people. I can't wait. Me too. Tombs of the Blind Dead is cool. Well, we'll get to it tomorrow. We'll right. get to it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I can't jump ahead yet because it is still today, which is tomorrow, which is not yet the day after tomorrow. <laughs> but I will get to it tomorrow and we will get to, I think, a new thermometer goal. I think so, too. I think we can do it. I'm so, so, so excited. So, so, so proud. Once again, GoFundMe.com slash F slash Gaylords. We'll see you tomorrow or we won't because we will also be blind and dead. But we'll be here regardless from beyond the grave. I don't know. Goodbye. Wow. For a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured yet informative. I know, right? Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, Oh oh my god! god. Oh my my god! Tune in next time for more Gaylords of Ha, 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 ha.